Well, hey everyone, thanks for checking out this message from Journey Church. These resources are so awesome to have when you're out in nature like we are and you gotta go be outside on these nice days. However, we want you to know that there is nothing better than true fellowship with believers and live worship with your fellow Christians. So be sure to use this message only in conjunction with getting fed in a community of believers. Hey, we also want you to get connected with us, so be sure to text the word CONNECT to 307-271-9160 so that you can stay in the loop with everything happening at Journey Church and get notifications about upcoming events. Hey, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you as you continue this life on your walk with Jesus. Good morning. I'm Chris Hunter. I'm the youth pastor here at Journey Church, and every now and then they uh, give me an opportunity to, to speak. You guys can decide whether that's a good thing or not. Um, but I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited to be able to speak to you. The series, that, or the sermon that we're going to be going through is called Loving a Broken World, and we went through a four-part series with the youth on loving a broken world, and, and it, it spoke to me. It just, it just really hit home with me, and I was just like, you know what? I want to condense the four weeks we talked about it into one sermon and uh, give you guys kind of a snippet of what we went through. And, and it's just amazing what God showed to, to me through this series and how I need to respond to this broken world. Just today, I was looking at the news and we see the breaking news, right? We see it all, everywhere. Actually, I was reading some things about how watching the news affects our mood and can kind of make us negative. Does that surprise you? No, because everything on the news is usually a downer or something bad's happened or somebody's doing something wrong and that somebody's lying, somebody's, all the politics stuff that's going on. But we watch the news and we are just, this world sucks. I mean, that's literally what we think. Actually, looking at the news today, there was a shooting in Buffalo, New York. Ten people's lives were taken at a grocery store. The shooter decided to live stream the shooting. That's our world, right in your face. And I don't know how many people got exposed to this live stream video, but this is what is all over. So you turn on your TVs, you turn on your news, you turn on everything, and it is right there. And it can be very frustrating to look at this world and say, I want to love this world. Because when we see it, we see so much pain, we see so much heartache, we see so much destruction, so much dysfunction, that we are just like, I'm done with this. God, Jesus, take me now. I'm ready to die. Get me out of here. I've heard people say that before. And it's sad because God can use you in this broken world. And I, I asked myself, I said, well, then how are we supposed to respond to this broken world? How are we supposed to react to this broken world? And I look at who's the best example of seeking out this broken world or, or reaching out to this broken world. And it's Jesus. Jesus is the best example of how to respond to this world. So the first point I want you to understand is we need to love a broken world in the middle of chaos. And so I look back in scripture and I see there's this moment where Jesus is in the middle of chaos and he does something remarkable. And Luke Chapter 8, verse 43 through 48, and it'll be on the screen. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her life living on, uh, her life living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. 
She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood was ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Why is this significant? There is crowds of people around Jesus. He is walking to a destination. Obviously, they're going somewhere. And this woman who has been battling this sickness, this illness, for 12 years has lost hope in finding any way to get it cured. You know, back in that time, if you were dealing with something like that significant for that long a time, it's almost better off just to write them off as never going to get healed and never going to get better and that it's just going to take over their life at some point. And so this person who probably was unable to do the things that she would want to do became valueless and insignificant in the eyes of others, almost discarded by others. And the amazing thing about this story is there's people all around Jesus and they are walking in a direction to go somewhere and she touches the fringe of his garment. The fringe of his garment. There's... How are you going to notice that? You're not. And yet Jesus took notice in the middle of the chaos and says, this person matters. Think of our lives, the busyness, the chaos in our lives, how we're just trying to go somewhere. We're so focused on this or that. And there is a person who is there that we can potentially reach and love and care for, but we don't notice it. We're too blinded by everything around us, that we got too many other important things. But the God of this universe, the God of this world, noticed the smallest thing and said, this person matters. It's amazing that the crowds just kind of opened up and this woman was revealed and sitting before him. And you know what? This whole crowd took notice of this woman. Before, they did not. But Jesus took notice of this woman, which everyone realized this person matters. And that's something I want you to understand is if we want to love this broken world, we have to understand that Jesus loves every single person in this broken world, the insignificant, the discarded, the, the ones that we claim valueless, the ones that just don't offer anything to us because they are incapable of doing anything for themselves. This woman who was sick was probably so focused on her sickness that she was unable to do anything. And so sometimes we get so stuck in our own worlds that we just don't see those people. We don't see the opportunities to be able to help encourage and uplift them. But the God of this universe sees these people. The God of this universe does not see them as insignificant, but instead as people with great faith. And he calls her, he says something to her. And this is the amazing thing in that last verse, daughter, daughter. He calls her daughter. You have value. You have a place in my heart. You are not just this woman with this illness. You are not just this insignificant person. You are daughter. Just as he said to any of us, you are my son. You are my daughter. And that he loves us so much. 
So when we're loving a broken world, no matter what our chaos looks like, let's be aware of the people around us that sometimes get discarded and, and seen as insignificant, and let's do something for them. My second point that I want to really to go into is I want to love a broken world despite their sin. Despite their sin, so often we separate ourselves from people. Well, that person is getting into all these different things, and I don't want to ever put myself around them. Yes, we don't want to be influenced by them, but we don't want to completely push them away. Again, we can discard people because of their sin. We say, oh, I just don't want to be around this person. You don't know what they've done. You don't know all the things that they're doing. How are they going to know the love of Christ if we don't interact with them? How are they going to know the love of Christ if we don't go down and speak to them? So again, we go back to Jesus. What did Jesus do? And we're going to go to... i got to make sure I'm on the right one. There we go. We go to John chapter 4, verse 13 through 30. And we find Jesus interacting with a Samaritan woman. And I know a lot of you have heard this story. But Samaritans were not liked by the Jews. They did not want to interact with the Samaritans. They saw them as half-breeds, as insignificant. Also, she was a woman, which for a Jewish man to talk to a Samaritan woman was completely just, you wouldn't see that. I think the Jews actually elevated themselves above the Samaritans and saw them as less than them. So Jesus is interacting with a Samaritan woman. And in verse or John 4, verse 13, says, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have, or have to come here to draw water. Because they were meeting at a well, and she had, Jesus had asked her for water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you had had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you said is true, the woman said to him. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither... On this mountain, nor Jerusalem, will you worship the Father. You will worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who had told me all that I had ever did. Can this be the Christ? So this woman, a Samaritan woman, interacts with Jesus. Jesus goes out of his way to interact with this Samaritan woman. And he says something about, hey, where is your husband? I have no husband. He said, you answer correctly, for you have five husbands. 
This woman obviously has been unfaithful, has gone through several different relationships. Back then, she would be seen as very, I mean, the, the reaction to that would be extremely disgust. And yet Jesus says, I know your sin. I know what you've done. And yet I'm here. I'm here interacting with you. I'm here talking with you. I'm here because I want you to know that there's hope. I want you to know that there's living water. You've been drinking out of water that leaves you thirsty. You've gone from relationship to relationship expecting that to quench your thirst, expecting that to make you happy, and you are found dissatisfied and frustrated. But I have something that's going to make you never thirst again. I'm going to have something that is going to give you hope and a, a purpose in this life. And Jesus is communicating to the Samaritan woman and communicating to her in love. He didn't say, well, we got to figure this whole thing out with all your sin and then come back to me and we'll figure this out. He says, I want you to understand that there's a way that you haven't tried yet. And I'm, I'm giving you this opportunity to follow to have this living water to, to, to trust in me. I am the Messiah. The Messiah reveals himself to this woman. Isn't that crazy? He is not going to the popular places where he is seen as this high-ranking person. Instead, he sees this woman who is probably seen with disgust in her own community, and he says, I'm going to reach her. Again, we go back to the insignificant, and Jesus sees the significant. Jesus sees the value and who that person is. So many times in Scripture, Jesus demonstrates and explains this response to the sin in our lives. When you think of Peter, who denied Jesus three times, how did he respond to Peter? Did he say, get away from me, Peter? I'm disgusted in your sin. Instead, he gave them, Peter away for redemption. Do you love me, Peter? I do, God. And not only did he give Peter away for redemption, he says, I'm going to give you purpose now, and I'm going to give you something. I'm going, to, I'm going to build actually my church on you, Peter. I'm going to trust you to do my work, Peter. Doubting Thomas when he said, I'm not going to believe it unless I see the holes in his hands. And he comes up to Thomas instead of going up to him saying, why are you doubting Thomas? He shows him the holes in his hands and his feet and embraces him with love. The prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son, where the son had gone out and had wasted his father's inheritance, a picture of how we waste the gifts and the things that God has given us. And when the son comes home completely humiliated, embarrassed by the choices that he's done in his life, and he says, God, our dad, just put me as a slave because I was living so much worse out in that world and I had wasted everything, that being even a slave in your house would be an upgrade from the way I was living. And instead, he, he elevates him to that status of, you are my son. Again, going back to the, the very first part, in the middle of chaos, you are daughter, you are son. And he embraces his son with a hug of love. Jesus is responding to us despite our sin, despite our feelings of insignificance. And he loves us. So we're loving a broken world in the middle of chaos, despite the person's sin, and even when it hurts. Even when it hurts. I don't know how we would have responded in this situation when we go to the even when it hurts, because... 
Jesus did something just just blows my mind. And it was really it really hit home with our youth kids because this uh, this last Easter we went to the movie theater with the youth kids and we watched The Passion of the Christ. And it's so different when you actually read Jesus was crucified and you actually see it. So all the youth kids who had experienced and had never seen that movie and had never seen, never seen what Jesus went through, their eyes were opened to the cost of what he had to do. The price that he had to pay for us. And we read in scripture in Luke chapter 23, 32 through 39, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And they cast lots and divided his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, His chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over his hymn, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who who were hanged rallied against him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. In the midst of all of that, Jesus is being persecuted physically. They are spitting in his face. They are mocking him. And in the midst of all of that, he says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. That is one of the most profound statements of a believer. I think of Stephen when he is being stoned to death, when rocks are being hurled at his head and he's about to reach the end of his life. What comes out of his mouth? Father, forgive them. If you want the heart of Christ, even when it hurts, even when this broken world hurts us, destroys us, turns its back on us, we're still praying for them. We're still loving them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Hard to do. A lot easier for me to say these things up here. It's harder to put it in action. But we love this broken world in the middle of chaos despite our sin, even when it hurts. Why? Because we too are broken. Because I'm broken. Because I'm broken. Do we really understand that? That that not when, when Christ is loving this broken world, He's loving us also. Because we are broken. Now I was looking at scripture, and there's one scripture that really stood out to me. It was Matthew 23. And it's a people group that Jesus did not respond the same way to as we just mentioned. So we have a woman who's, who's obviously dealing with a medical issue and, and completely seen as insignificant, but Jesus notices her. We have a woman who's in her sin and has sinned several times and isn't even a person that the Jews would even associate themselves with Jesus responds to. Then we have the religious leaders, the Pharisees, who were seen by the, by the community, by the public, as these high religious leaders with status. 
They looked like the people that had it all together. How did Jesus respond to them? And I, I was like, you know, can I break this down? Can I, can I shorten this up? But I think it's good to read almost this whole chapter and just hear how he responded to the Pharisees. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his followers, the teachers of the laws and the Pharisees have the authority to tell you what the law of Moses says. So you should obey and follow whatever they tell you. Good, right? The Pharisees know the law. They're going to tell you things. Follow them. Listen, the law is good. But we're going to get to the heart of the Pharisees. But their lives are not good examples for you to follow. They tell you to do things, but they themselves don't do. They make strict rules and try to force people to obey them, but they are unwilling to help those who struggle under the weight of their rules. They do good things so that other people see them. They enlarge the little boxes holding scripture that they wear, and they make their special prayer clothes very long. Those Pharisees and teachers of the law love to have the most important seats at feasts and in synagogues. They love people to greet them with respect in the marketplace, and they love to have people call them teacher. But I must not... But you must not, sorry, but you must not be called teacher because you have only one teacher and you are all brothers and sisters together. That is the equal playing field. We get so often we say this person's better than me. This person's better than that. You are all brothers and sisters together. And don't call anyone, any person on earth father because you have one father who is in heaven. He's talking about the one who we worship, not obviously our earthly fathers. And you should not be called master because you have only one master, the Christ. Whoever is your servant is the greatest among you. Whoever makes himself great will be made humble. Whoever makes himself humble will be great. And this is when he really starts ripping into the Pharisees. And I honestly believe he's doing it out of love because he knows how thick their skull is. He knows how stubborn they are. And he's saying, I want you to be aware of these things. You can take it or leave it, but I'm going to share it with you. And he says, how terrible for you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You are hypocrites. You close the door for people to enter the kingdom of heaven. You yourselves don't enter. And you stop others who are trying to enter. How terrible for you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You are hypocrites. You take away widows' houses and you say long prayers so that people will notice you. So you will have a worse punishment. How terrible for you teachers of the law and Pharisees. You are hypocrites. You travel across the land and sea to find one person who will change to their ways, to your ways. When you find that person, you make him more fit for hell than you are. Could you imagine that being said to you by Jesus? You make them more fit for hell than you are. How terrible for you. You guide the people, but you are blind. You say, if you swear by the temple, when they make a promise, that means nothing. But if you swear by the gold that is in the temple, they must keep the promise. You are blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes that gold holy? And if you say, if you swear by the altar when they make a promise, that means nothing. But if you swear by the gift on the altar, they must keep that promise. You are blind, which is greater. The gift are the altar that makes the gift holy. They're becoming materialistic. They're so focused on the possessions and the gains that they can gain. The person who swears by the altar is really using the altar and also everything on the altar. And the person who swears by the temple is really using the temple and also everything in the temple. The person who swears by heaven is also using God's throne and the one who sits on the throne. He gets into more. How terrible you Pharisees 
uh, or teachers of the law and Pharisees, you are hypocrites. You give to God one-tenth of everything you earn, even your mint, dill, and cumin, cumin, but you don't obey the really important teachings of the law, justice, mercy, and being loyal. These are the things you should do, as well as those other things. You guide the people, but you are blind. You are like a person who picks a fly out of a drink and then swallows a camel. How terrible for you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You are hypocrites. You wash the outside of the cups and dishes, but inside they are full of things you got by cheating others and by pleasing only yourselves. Pharisees, you are blind. First make the inside of the cup clean, and then the outside of the cup can truly be clean. How terrible for you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You are hypocrites. You are like tombs that are painted white. Outside those tombs look fine, but inside they are full of bones of dead people, all kinds of unclean things. It is the same with you people. Look at, it's the same with you. People look at you and think you are good, but the inside you are full of hypocrisy and evil. How terrible for you teachers of the law and Pharisees. You are hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and you show honor to the graves of those who lived good lives. You say, if you had lived during those times of our ancestors, ancestors, we would not have helped them kill the prophets. But you give proof that you are descendants to those who murdered the prophets and you will complete the sin that your ancestors started. You are snakes, a family of poisonous snakes. How are you going to escape God's judgment? So I tell you this, I'm sending to you prophets and wise men and teachers, some of them who you will kill and crucify, some of them you will beat in your synagogues and chase from town to town. So you will be guilty for the death of all good people who have been killed on earth from the murder of the good man Abel to the murder of Zechariah, son of Barakah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth. All of these things will happen to you who are living now. I couldn't leave anything out. Holy smokes. That is a total different response that Jesus had for the Pharisees than for those that were stuck in their sin and those that were seen as valueless and insignificant. These are the religious leaders. These are the high priests. These are the people that everybody looks up to. And how does Jesus respond? He says, you don't get it. You have all this head knowledge and you have all these things that you know about scripture. You could probably rattle off all the right answers, but your heart is empty. It hasn't made it from here to here. You see yourself as perfect. You brag about the things you do. You want to be seen in public. You want everybody to see who you are and, and, and just build you up as this awesome, perfect person. You are the one who wants to focus on you. And so we have this attitude of, I am perfect. I have it figured out. I have it all together. And you know what that communicates to God? I don't need you. The most dangerous place we can be is in a point where we think we don't need God. And I think the Pharisees were at that point. And what's crazy is Jesus is saying, I'm going to send people to you, and you're going to crucify them. Who did they crucify? Him. He's speaking to them, and in they're saying, we would never hurt the prophets or do those things that the people did in the past. And yet they do it. They're stubborn. Their hearts are closed. It made me think of the story of the rich man and Lazarus. When the rich man who had everything in life was cast to hell. And Lazarus, who was a beggar, was taken to heaven. And there's this, there's this picture of where Lazarus is in heaven. And this rich man is suffering in hell. And he's dying. Of, I mean, he just cannot 
has no, his thirst cannot be quenched. He's, he's so dehydrated from the, the pits of hell, and he asks for just a drop of water. Abraham, he sees Abraham, can you just give me a drop of water? Can can just quench my thirst because I'm suffering in hell? And then he asks another request. He says, can you please send somebody? I have five brothers. Can you please send somebody to go to them and share with them so they don't have to go through this torment? And he responds by saying, we've sent people. And their hearts are closed. Even if we send you from death, they won't listen. How terrible of a place to be where we think, I don't need God. That's somewhere where, where Jesus is really frustrated. When we get to that point where we just think we can do it all ourselves, that is where Jesus really struggles. How do we love this broken world? Well, we first need to understand that I am broken. And God, I need you. From there, God takes us and he teaches us how to love this broken world because we understand how much God loves us. He says, I don't want you just to love this broken world, but I want you to love your broken friends. I want you to love your broken family. I want you to love your broken church. Are we perfect? No. And I want you to love your broken self. I want you to understand that I love you and I've forgiven you. I no longer hold things against you. Jesus is saying those things to us. And sometimes the hardest part is understanding that he also loves us and our broken self. In First uh, John 4 through 15 through 21, it says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he loved us first, because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Kind of sums it up. We love this broken world because he loved us first. Christ chose to love us, the broken. And because Christ loves the broken, we will love the broken. I want us to go into this world, this frustrating, dysfunctional, messed up world, and I want us to love like Jesus loved. I want us to make an impact the way Jesus made an impact. And here's the thing that, that we got to understand is that God, God's power is revealed through the broken. So that when we go out and we reach this world, they know we don't have it all together. We are flawed. We are messed up. And it demonstrates God's power through us. 
that God is able to use us, the broken, to make an impact in this world. How amazing that our God is willing to even use us, the broken, to reach the lost. And I'm so thankful that God gives us that amazing gift of forgiveness to be able to be redeemed from the brokenness in our lives. I want us as a church to go out into this world and to really demonstrate the love of Christ. Stephen is going to be closing with a song called Mindful of Me by Matthew West. And uh, it just hit home with me when I was working on this sermon. And uh, I think you guys will really enjoy the words, and I, I encourage you to sing along with them because that is my heart. How, how Christ responded to me, a broken person, and that he was mindful of me. Hey, thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys, and thanks for listening to this message.